0: Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is a place where we can hear what we need, even if it's not what we want. God, we thank you for being a God who continues to teach us. So, Lord, we ask that your spirit would make us receptive. Lord, that we would Behold, you and your goodness, that we would see Jesus and give him the praise that he deserves. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I was, uh, I was grieving with some folks a couple of weeks ago about the fact that baseball season is over. But I looked it up, and, and you can take heart, There's only, there are only 129 days left until opening day, so it's gonna be okay, guys, we can do this. Uh, but it's hard for me to, to think about baseball right now without a good deal of disappointment. Uh, the teams closest to us in proximity, we've got the Angels, who despite having two of the best players in the league, perhaps two of the best players in history, they haven't made the playoffs since 2014, Lord help them. And then there's the Dodgers. In the last three seasons, they have won over 100 games, but in the last two, they haven't made it past the first round of playoffs, losing this year to the Diamondbacks in three games. And I think there's something that's that's more disappointing about the Dodgers than the Angels, because there's no hope with the Angels. with the Dodgers there's some hope right they were they were on top right? they were dominant all season and then when it came down to it they fell apart and after this season I, I consoled myself by, by looking up some other major flops in sports history it, it made me feel better um, so I read about the Warriors loss to the to the Cavs in the 2016 NBA Finals uh, the Warriors had a record-breaking season, winning 73 games that year, only losing nine. Um, they were even ahead in the NBA Finals, three games to one, and still managed to lose the title. Then there was the Patriots' Super Bowl loss to the New York Giants in 2008. You may remember that one. Uh, the Patriots were on the verge of completing a perfect season. They went into the Super Bowl 18 and 0. If they won the Super Bowl, they would have been the first team to win, or excuse me, to have a perfect season since the 1972 Miami Dolphins. But they choked. It was tough. Anyway, reading about that made me feel a little bit better about my Dodgers. Now, why bring any of this up, you may be wondering, and it's understandable. Well, I think part of the value of sports is that they are a microcosm of life. Right, the joy, the sorrow, the drama, right? what we see on the field or the court, it mirrors in a contained way many of the things that we experience in the real world. And the progression from prosperity to the pit is one of those things. Right? Many of us have experienced this, right? moments or seasons when we feel as though we are on top, as though we are unshakable only to see that the mountains that we've erected are just crumbling around us. And that's something that we observe here in this text. Psalm 30, ultimately, it's considered by many to be a psalm of thanks. In this text, David stands on either side of some great trouble, some great distress, and he thanks God for his rescuing work. And there's a progression that's evident here. Right, after the initial praise that we see in the first five verses, we move from prosperity to the pit, but then ultimately to praise. Now, While David is in the pit, and important for us, while David is in the pit, he learns some important things about God, about his rescuing work and about his ability to turn awful events and use them for good. Psalm 30 may thank God for a specific rescue in a particular instance in David's life, but it also may just reflect back on his whole life or season of life. We don't know how literal or figurative it is when David says in verse 2, you have healed me, but I think ultimately that's by design. The psalm is meant to draw others into worship for all sorts of healings and rescues, not just David's. So this morning, I want us to enter into this psalm. We're going to walk through this text with David, where we see this flow from prosperity to the pit, but then ultimately to praise. So let's follow this arc and, and see where this psalm leads us and what it has to teach us about each stage. We're going to begin with prosperity. Now, the first five verses of Psalm 30, give thanks and praise to God. In verses 1 through 3, we're in the present and God is being exalted for some past rescue. Then in verse 4, others are being drawn into worship. A worship grounded in verse 5 in the timeless nature of God. In verses 4 and 5, we read, Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, But there is joy in the morning. Then starting in verse 6 and carrying on through verse 10, we have a sort of flashback section, which begins with a time of prosperity. So in verse 6, in the beginning of verse 7, we read, When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. In the beginning of verse 6, David is reflecting on a time when he was on top. Everything was going his way. He was secure. And the word translated secure is the Hebrew word shalwa. It could also be translated prosperity. But it's used in a different way in a few other places. So, for instance, in Proverbs one thirty-two, it's translated as complacency. There we read, for the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The word translated complacency is the same word in our text, shalwa. David here is reminiscing about a time when he was secure. He was comfortable. And this security and comfort led him to make a foolish boast, saying, when I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. See, this shows a fundamental misunderstanding on David's part of the way that the world and prosperity work. So how should we think about prosperity in this age? Well, on the one hand, we should see it as a gift. All right, where does David's security and prosperity come from? It comes from God. Look at verse 7. Lord, when you showed your favor, You made me stand like a strong mountain. God was the one who made David prosperous. His prosperity was a gift. It was a real, tangible blessing. It was a gift, but it was not the gift. And because it is not the gift, it's fragile. And I think we've all seen or experienced this in our lives, haven't we? Times where we feel on top, but it doesn't stay that way forever. Good things that are wonderful while they last, but they don't always last. Our good times are often shaky, and so it is foolish for us, as it was for David, to grow proud in prosperity. What should God's favor have accomplished in David's heart? It should have evoked gratitude He should have thanked God for what he had instead of slowly swelling with pride about the gifts that he's received. I heard one pastor describe prosperity in this world as both a gift for which to be thankful to God as well as a test in which to renew trust in God and not self. And verse 6 seems to be a sort of confession from David about his mishandling of prosperity. But what we read in verse six, when I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. This is pride talking. Prosperity moved David to swell with pride to think that his strength is what got him what he was now enjoying. And that his strength would be what sustains him to the point where he will never be moved. He grew numb to the truth that it was God that had established him like a mountain. And he also appears to be neglecting the fact that God is able to make mountains crumble. So if you are in a season of seeming strength and prosperity this morning, Psalm 30 is a reminder to you to give thanks and to humble yourself. Thank God for the goodness in his provision. Acknowledge his kindness in the midst of your unworthiness. Do not boast, as David did, thinking, I will not be shaken. Because just about everything in this world is pretty shaky, isn't it? We are fragile. Our political stability is fragile. Our economy is fragile. Our health is fragile. Peace is fragile. Experience and history have shown us that truly nothing, nothing is too big to fail. Take the Roman Empire, for example, which apparently, in, which apparently many men spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about. Uh, in recent months, there has been a social media trend in which women have asked the men in their lives about how often they think about the Roman Empire. Uh, there's, a, there's an article in the, in the Washington Post about this exact thing. And apparently, nearly 2,000 years after its fall, the Roman Empire crosses the minds of a good number of men on a weekly or even daily basis, much to the confusion of the women in their lives. Uh, There's a a video that went viral in which a woman asked her fiancé, you know, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And he, like, quickly responded three times a day. And she's like, what? Explain yourself. And again, very quickly, he said, well, there's so much to think about. So they built an entire world-dominating society. It's like, fair point. But even now, and I mean to his point, even now, a couple of millennia later, we are able to still go and visit Roman artifacts. We can see things that the Romans actually built. But when we go and we visit something that the Romans have built, what is it that we're visiting? We're visiting ruins. Everything ultimately crumbles No degree of prosperity makes us immune to falling. And we need to remember that when we are prosperous. We need to remember that God is the benefactor. So we should humbly thank him, not presume that our security is unshakable. Everything in this life is subject to crumbling, subject to shakiness, subject to decay, And it's sometimes God's desire to do his most important work on us and in us when things come crashing down around us. God does powerful work in the pit. So now let's turn our attention to the pit. I want to read uh, from the end of verse 7 through verse 10 now. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. Well, despite David's boasting and his confidence in himself, he eventually ended up in the pit. He was shaken. His mountain, despite how strong he thought it was, his mountain crumbled. And I think we learn a couple of important things from David about how to handle our own experiences in the pit. First, we see him being real about it. David doesn't use euphemisms about the situation that he's in. He's not just in a rough patch. He's not in a rebuilding phase. God has, humbled him, God has humbled David, and he allows himself to be humbled. He is real about what he is experiencing. All right, look at verses 2 and 3. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. David was in a position in this text where he thought everything was lost. And he was real about it. He was real about his hardship and his pain. And I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in the emotional honesty that we see demonstrated by so many biblical authors. When life is bleak, when situations are desperate, our instruction as believers isn't to pretend as the reality is otherwise. No, the Bible invites us instead to be honest, to be real. When the sky is falling, our instruction isn't to smile and say, well, I must be getting taller, because look at where the sky is at. No. That's not our instruction. Instead, we cry out to God. We're real about what is happening, and we put our trust in him. I listened to a story a while back uh, from the podcast Invisibilia, and it it was a story about pain. The title of the episode was called The Fifth Vital Sign. And it pointed out how now when you visit a doctor, in addition to the four primary measurable vital signs, your blood pressure, pulse, temperature, and breathing, you're now asked about your pain. And you're often asked to score it. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your pain? Well, pain wasn't seen as a vital sign until the mid-1990s. And there are some folks who don't see the attention given to pain as a particularly helpful thing. Uh, in the podcast, a doctor was interviewed who said that pain is simply the lot of humanity. It's, it's our lot to suffer. And that part of being human is, is learning to live with pain, live through pain. And if we pay undue attention to it, he says that it has a tendency to grow. Well, the main issue that the podcast was exploring was something that they referred to as an epidemic of pain. It's a real problem that many young girls in particular are facing Apparently, there are thousands of young girls acro- around the country who are battling debilitating chronic pain without a clear physiological cause. So the question was what are we supposed to do about this pain? And the question was initially posed as though there were two options. One, we accept it as the fifth vital sign. We focus on and treat it, exploring it wherever it takes us. That's option one. Or two, we go back to the way of previous generations, the way that they handled pain. We, we ignore it. We push through it. We grin and bear it. Those are the, those are the two options presented to us or so they thought initially. Well, the conclusion that they came to didn't fit into that false dichotomy. One group of doctors found that part of the key to effective treatment was to acknowledge the pain in addition to the many emotions that accompany it. But it was also important to know when and how to push through it, to understand that pain isn't ultimate. And I think we see a similar tack taken in the Bible. In Scripture, we have example after example where pain, hardship, the pit are talked about and taken seriously. And we learn that we don't move on, we don't grow, we don't get out of the pit by ignoring reality. David acknowledges where he's at. He acknowledges how desolate he feels. And so should we. So we learn from him That we need to be real about what it is that we're facing. But another thing that we learn from his example is his comfortability with being in need. David is stuck. He is helpless. He cannot rescue himself. And so he calls out to the one who is able to help and to heal. David isn't uncomfortable with being needy. And neither should we. The pit is real. Life is often hard. But just as prosperity isn't ultimate, neither is the pit. Our God is able to heal, He is able to redeem even our most terrible experiences, turning them into opportunities to praise. So let's talk now about the final movement of this text praise. In verses 11 and 12, we read, You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. David's lament is turned to praise as he sees and experiences God's ability to redeem, to turn even tragedy for good, God is able to turn our lament into dancing, no matter how impossible it may seem. A few years back, uh, Anderson Cooper interviewed Stephen Colbert on CNN. And in that interview, Cooper brought up some things that Colbert had said in a different interview uh, with GQ about grief and loss. And Cooper read the following statement from Colbert. Colbert said, what punishments of God are not gifts? And Kipper went on to ask, do you really believe that? Well, that statement from Colbert, what punishments of God are not gifts, it's taken from Tolkien. who wrote the following statement in a letter to a woman he inqu- who had inquired about his work. This is from Tolkien. He said, A divine punishment is also a divine gift, if accepted, since its object is ultimate blessing. And the supreme inventiveness of the creator will make punishments, that is, changes of design, produce a good not otherwise to be obtained. Colbert, who's a devout Catholic, understands God's ability to turn mourning into dancing. And so he's able to say that he has come to love the thing that he most wished hadn't happened. That was another statement that, that Cooper had questions about it took him aback and the thing that that Colbert wished hadn't happened was the tragic death of his father and two brothers in a plane crash when he was just 10 years old so again Cooper asks him do you really believe that that divine punishments could also be divine gifts and Colbert says yes And he explains that it doesn't mean that he wants the tragic events of his life to have happened. No, he wants the opposite. But he explains that he knows that it's a gift to exist and with existence comes suffering and there's no escaping that. And what makes this kind of suffering and loss a gift? Well, Colbert says, so what do you get from loss? You get awareness of other people's loss, which allows you to connect with that other person, which allows you to love more deeply, and to understand what it's like to be a human being. He goes on to say, In my tradition, the greatest gift of the sacrifice of Christ is that God does it too. So then you're really not alone. God does it too. In verse 3 of our text, David praises God, saying, Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. What David is saying here is figurative, right? Because David didn't literally die or go down to the place of the dead. Tragedy struck. He felt as though all was lost, but that wasn't in fact the case. But Jesus, the son of David, did. He didn't spare himself from any of life's tragedies. Instead, he dove headlong into them. Jesus faced abandonment, he faced ridicule. He faced persecution, heartache, suffering, and ultimately death. He went down to Sheol. He spent three days in the pit. Why? For us. We're told in Hebrews 12 too, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Jesus, friends, was us. It was our salvation. Jesus subjected himself to everything that we face so that we could be with him, so that we can know that we are truly not alone. Now, if we're still inclined to ask the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to persist? Why does he turn his face away from us as he did from David in verse six? I think the call, friends, is to look, is to look to the cross. We're not told there what the specific answer is, but we do know what the answer isn't. As Tim Keller writes, it can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. And friends, it is in this act of love that we have hope Hope that our lament can and will be turned into dancing. Hope in the restoration of all things. Hope that one day all the sad things will come untrue. So as we head into Thanksgiving this week, friends, let's bring this hope with us. If you are in a time of prosperity, See that as an opportunity to praise God. Right? Thank Him for making your mountain strong. Practice gratitude this week intentionally and specifically. And may that practice fill your heart with thanks and humility. May God's blessing humble you. And if you're in the pit this week, know that you're allowed to be real with that too. But know that God gives you the hope and the assurance that your pain doesn't get the final word. Ours is a God who is able to work all things together for good. There is nothing, nothing beyond his power to redeem. In Christ, there is hope. And one day he will make all things new and turn our lament into dancing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for the truth of this text. That you, God, you, God, are good. And you are powerful. And you are able to work all things, even the most terrible things. You're able to use those things for your good purpose. That you, God, can turn our laments into dancing. Lord, we pray that we would hang on to this truth this morning and throughout this week. Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude for your goodness when we experience it and for your faithfulness when we're in the pit. Lord, give us hope and help us to see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.